you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We're glad that you're here. I'm sure most of you have heard the news about the protesters triggered by the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, and others. These terrible tragedies created tremendous pain for the families. They created pain for African Americans and reopened a deep wound within our nation. These terrible tragedies created so much pain, and as a result, there are peaceful protesters, there are looters, and there's burning. And as you watch all of this unfold in the media before us, uh, a common question is, what do we do? How do we respond to this kind of situation? What am I going to say in the conversations that I have with my family and friends? How do we help? And most importantly, how do we find healing for our nation? Today, I'd like to suggest two things. Uh, guidelines from God's word. One of them is more of an immediate response to our situation. The other is more of a long-term approach. And so before we begin, let's, let's start with prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, that your word is vast and deep, applies to our lives on so many levels, from so many angles. And Lord, I thank you that even in this situation, there's wisdom to be had from the whole counsel of your word. And I pray, God, that your spirit would take what is written on the pages or in our phones. Lord, transfer it to our hearts and make it alive, make it real. And give it a place to land, to take root and grow and become alive, that we become your living word and bring honor to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned two approaches. One is more of the immediate response. And we have some, uh, we have an example from Jesus. And it's found in John chapter 11. Um, the story is about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And if you recall that story, Mary and Martha, they lose their brother. Um, he passed away. And so they're grieving. And their friends are grieving. Their family is grieving. And then on top of all of their grief and their loss, they're also angry. They're angry at Jesus because he didn't come sooner to prevent this. We read in verse 32, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all the Bible, and yet one of the most important verses in all the Bible. When people are hurting, sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. But Jesus shows us that one of the first things that we need to do is just be with them where they're hurting, be with them in their pain, and even cry with them. There's no need to provide answers. We don't have to be able to explain things. 
We don't have to explain anything. You notice Jesus didn't do that? Because they said some things that weren't quite right. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened to my brother. You know, he didn't get into, well, Mary, Martha, let me correct your theology a little bit. You know, in about 12 minutes, I'm about to raise Lazarus. No, he didn't get into any of that. He was just with them. And it says Jesus wept. He carried their burden. Relieve your, you can relieve yourself of the pressure to have to have some answers, to know what to do, to know what to say. Don't underestimate the power and the importance, the importance of your presence. It means a lot to people. Secondly, I want us to notice in this passage that Jesus was also angry. In fact, we read that a deep anger welled up. We can go to the next slide. A deep anger welled up within him. Now, why is it that Jesus was angry? Because we know, looking back 2,000 years, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? So he could have come in calm, cool, collected, knowing how it's all going to turn out. It's all going to be good. Don't worry. In fact, it's going to be a big party after. Everybody's just going to be amazed, blown away. We're just going to worship because we're just touched by God. He did a miracle. But it says Jesus was angry. So why was he angry? One reason is because Jesus has deep compassion for those who suffer. It's true that Jesus did let Lazarus die. Uh, he delayed coming, and he didn't speak healing from a distance like he did with, with the centurion's servant. Um, and his reasons were good, even glorious. He was about to reveal the glory of God. He was about to reveal a supernatural aspect of his being that they had not yet witnessed, and they would be blessed beyond what they could imagine, and God would be glorified. But even though that was the way it would unfold, he didn't take their pain lightly. He didn't take their suffering lightly. Even though Jesus always chooses to do what is going to glorify God, even in situations like in the case of Lazarus, where it would require grief and suffering, even though that's the way it was going to go, he takes no delight in the grief itself. No, Jesus is sympathetic. The Apostle Paul, who had been to heaven and back, said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And here, at the tomb of Lazarus, we get a glimpse of how God feels over the suffering and the grief that we experience. Jesus wept, and he was angry. You know, sometimes we think anger is a bad thing. Sometimes we think, oh no, just that, that's a sin. Don't, don't get angry. But did you know God gets angry over injustice? Did you know that anger actually has a divine origin? And more than that, anger actually has a divine purpose. Have you ever noticed within yourself that when a situation goes unaddressed, when the problem is not fixed, have you noticed how your anger remains or resurfaces? But when the problem gets fixed and the issue is resolved, have you noticed how your anger goes away and dissipates? It's because the purpose of your anger has been fulfilled, which is to correct what is wrong. Anger has a divine purpose, to correct whatever is wrong. And so, the issue is not anger. The issue is what we do with our anger. The Apostle Paul said, be angry, and yet do not sin. 
So we need, to be, we need to be careful in this area. We need to be very careful because Jesus, being who he was, he was able to be angry. He was able to deal with the feelings of grief and yet not sin. But we have a sinful nature that still dwells within the members of our body and will be with us until we shed this body and we go to be with the Lord. In the meantime, we struggle with that sinful nature. And so we need to be careful about our responses, about our feelings, about our thinking, and about our decisions. We need to be careful to weigh our feelings and our decisions before we act. There is another reason that Jesus is angry. There's another injustice connected to Lazarus' death. There's another injustice in the making, and it's right around the corner. Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And as amazing as that miracle was, he also knew that reporters would go to the religious leaders of their day and tell them what Jesus did. And as a result of that miracle, they made a decision that they would kill him. This was the event that triggered that decision. Jesus understands injustice firsthand. This is why he sympathizes with anyone who suffers, anyone who has been wronged. And when that happens, Jesus modeled what to do in the moment. He had compassion for those who were hurting. And he was angry about injustice, and it moved him to do something about it, to fix what is wrong. And eventually, he would go to the cross. He would free us from sin, free us from the patterns and the habits that destroy us from the inside out, and free us from the consequences of those. Jesus is our example of what to do in the moment, to weep with those who weep, cry with those who are hurting, be angry about sin, and yet do not commit another sin. Well, this helps in the moment, but what about when those intense moments are over? What, what's the long-range plan? What can we do now to make a difference in the long run? Well, God created three ways for us to be able to grow, to live, to grow, and even to flourish. And the very first institution that God created for us to be able to live and grow is the family. We need to model and teach our kids how to honor people of every ethnicity because ethnicity is sacred. Your ethnicity represents the image of God. Now, in Guam, it's a little easier to accomplish this because we're multiracial. You know, my kids grew up where their friends were Korean. They went to a school where there was Chamorros and Filipinos and Asians and Caucasians and other Islanders. And so for them, growing up around people of different ethnicity was normal. And so being close to them, you know, when you're close to other people, it breeds empathy. When there's relational distance between you and other people, it creates suspicion. And you know, the media, the world, would tell us to be suspicious about certain people. Let me give you an example. The media and our politics would tell us that you need to hate Iranians. Our president, Steve Merle, president of every nation, says, there's only one problem. I know too many of them. Now, I know, of course, politics is complicated. I'm separating a country's policy from the value of the individual. 
but an Iranian individual, their ethnicity is also sacred, just like every other ethnicity in this room here this morning. Distance breeds suspicion, but closeness breeds empathy. You know, Terry and I have had the privilege last six or seven years to be able to travel to Singapore. It's an interesting place. Singapore is the size of Guam, but they have six million people. Have you ever thought about how you fit six million people on an island the size of Guam? If you ever go there, it's high rises everywhere. You know, the Pacific Islands Club here, one of the hotel complexes, I mean, there, there are complexes like that all over the place, just back to back. When you fly in on the airplane, you're just flying in over buildings. But interesting way, they've set their residences up. There's a quota. In every complex, you have to have so many Chinese, so many Malays, so many Indonesians, so many Buddhists, so many Christians, so many uh, Hindus. And what happens when you live in proximity with people who are different, you get to know them. You find out, yeah, you can smell their cooking every day. That's what Indians eat. (laughs) And you find out, oh yeah, the Buddhists, they're burning incense out their door again. And you just become familiar with all of these people. And so the, famili- the, the closeness breeds empathy, but distance breeds suspicion. Hmm. You know, one of the ways our children saw this, uh, one of the ways we role modeled it in our home was that uh, we would have life group in our home every week. We hosted life group for years. It was like every week there was a party at our house. Everybody brought food, and there was music, and worship, and fellowship, and the kids running around going crazy, playing games, and all the adults talking, and people staying till sometimes I was doing dishes at 12 midnight. (laughs) But our kids grew up in that environment, and so for them, it was normal just to be around people that are different. And so that's how you raise the next generation not to be racist, not to practice discrimination or to be prejudiced. We're talking about the long-term solution. And part of the answer is the family and what happens in the home. But there is another institution that God has created for us to live, for us to be able to grow, and that institution is our government. Government provides the structure for us to live as a community. But the government is only as healthy as its leaders. And so in our democracy, we are a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And so it's very important that we stay informed about who we vote for and what they stand for. You know, we don't vote for president, but in our local government, your vote is your voice. It's important to know who people are and what they're about in order to vote for people that will create an island community that is healthy for you and for your family. We can make a difference with our vote. Government is important, but even if you have anti-discrimination laws and policies, those laws and policies do not change the human heart. The natural person, that is the person without God, that is ruled by the sinful nature, all they know is the sinful nature. It's filled with disputes, dissensions, factions, and most of all, the key uh, characteristic of the sinful nature is pride. I am number one. I don't listen to, nobody tells me what to do. And it's in that attitude of pride that we can develop this thought that I'm better than some other people. 
or that other people are less. And so we do that in so many ways. However we compare ourselves to other people, whether it's our looks, whether it's our finances, whether it's our physical ability, there are all these different metrics that we use to compare ourselves with other people and think that we're better or that they're less. But remember, your ethnicity is sacred. You're created in the image of God and everybody has equal value in the eyes of God. And so, knowing that this is the characteristic that we struggle with, government's not going to be able to solve that. That's not going to take away pride. The only thing that can do that is the power of the gospel. The good news of who Jesus is and what he did for us and inviting him into our lives so that he can change our heart and change the hearts of others. And so this brings us to the third institution that God has created for us to be able to live and to grow and to flourish. You know what it is? Yes, it's us, the church. From the beginning, every nation has been committed to seeing a great multitude. We can go to the next slide. That no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You know, that verse right there reveals the heart of God for every ethnicity on the planet. That's his heart. Everybody's invited. Everybody's supposed to be there. He's going to bring a multitude to come. We're all going to be there together in God's presence. Can you picture it? Can you take a moment just to imagine what it will be like? You know, years ago, I had a chance to kind of get a glimpse. I went to a pastor's conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We were in the Georgia Dome. 30,000 pastors worshiping together. And if you've ever been to the Georgia Dome, it's all made of metal. So when you're singing inside there, it sounds like you're singing inside a tin can. And I'll never forget just the resonance and the feeling that I felt when 30,000 men were praising and worshiping God. I tell you, it made the hair on my skin stand up. I was like, whoa, never heard anything like it in my life. That's just a glimpse of what's going to happen in this verse on the screen. What made it even more special was the diversity, the ethnic diversity of all the different people that were in the Georgia Dome that day. You know, we are blessed here at Life in the, Life in the Sun to have that kind of diversity. I, don't, I want to show you a picture of people that you will frequently see teaching and speaking from the front. Here in this picture, we have Filipinos, Chamorros, Caucasian, African-American, Chukis, and Mexican-Hawaiian. <laughs> you know, one of the characteristics of a healthy church is that it's actually reaching the community around it, and that the makeup of the church proportionally represents the community around it. And if you think about the population on Guam, that's a pretty good representation right there. You just look around this room. That's a pretty good representation of our island. You know, as we do life, we bring the presence of God to the world around us. In the long run, we're trusting God to be salt and light through our families and in our government and through our church. We exist to honor God and to make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. As we consider this experience with Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha, 
I pray that one of the miracles of all this social unrest will be empathy. As the world unravels around us, and as you listen to people talk about life, it may not be protesters, but it could be a cousin, it could be a friend, a coworker, and they've got their own battle and struggles that they're dealing with. And as you hear them talk about life, here are a few tips to help you connect with their heart. Number one, just do what Jesus did. Follow the feeling. You know, sometimes we want to get theological, we want to get political, we want to get psychological. You, you don't need to do any of that. Just connect with their, just listen to the person and tune into their heart and follow their feelings. And as they talk about life and what's going on, um, sometimes you can, their heart gets touched as stuff is surfacing. And you can tell if you just listen to the tone of their voice, maybe a quiver in their cheek or maybe the eyes get a little bit of water. And if you just acknowledge that and say, you know, I, I notice that sounds like it runs pretty deep in you, like you're feeling something right there. And just you acknowledging what they're feeling and giving validity to what they're experiencing, oftentimes it just opens the door. And then the feelings just start coming out and yeah, the tear begins to fall. And if the opportunity is right, if the door is open, just offer to pray. And all you want to do is just be a middle person between them and God and just invite the presence of God to come and be with them. See, we don't have to do it. God is the one who's the counselor. He's the healer. He's the teacher. to come. And it doesn't matter what they're telling you. It doesn't matter how bad it is. You know, sometimes people will share something with you, and you're like, whoa, I don't know how to handle that. I'm not trained for that. I don't have a master's in psychology. But you have the presence of God. And you can just, do you mind if I just pray for you for a moment? Lord, would you just come and be with this person in their pain? And you will be amazed how faithful God is. Because sometimes when you say that prayer, you're taking a risk. You're like, Lord, I just asked you to do something. This person is following me. You better show up. <laughs> I feel like I just stepped off a cliff, you know, I'm jumping into the arms of Jesus. I hope he catches me. But I tell you, I've been doing this for Terry and I for 20, 30 years. Every time God is faithful to come and to meet them in their place of need in ways that you can't even see. You don't even know what's going on, but it's meaningful to them and they experience God. So no matter what happened, no matter how bad it is, the presence of God is enough. And then watch and see what God does. This will take care of the immediate need. But in the long run, focus on your family. Use your vote as your voice. Share the gospel to touch hearts and to change lives. Be involved in a life group. Be involved in the community of the faith of believers and watch and see how God works through his people. We live in an unusual time. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. His word is filled with wisdom to live by. And these are just two tracks to run on in the short term and in the long term. May the Lord bless you as you continue to navigate these unusual times. Sound good? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you're with us as we sang earlier, going before us, watching from behind us and beside us. And Lord, thank you that you've given us your word that is filled with knowledge and understanding and wisdom. 
And God, I ask that you would open the minds, our minds and the minds of our hearts to be able to perceive, to be able to understand and to receive what it is that you're saying, what it is that you have for us. I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to be able to navigate these unusual times with our family and friends at work, just in my own mind and my feelings and how I'm processing things. God, I thank you that your kingdom is one of peace and rest and honor. And Lord, as you meet me where I'm at, as you walk with me and impart your peace, I pray that you would use me as a witness to those around me to also bring comfort, to bring assurance, most of all, to help them encounter you. And if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as I'm praying this way, there may be some of you here in the room today, as you're hearing me talk about a relationship with God, this is something that has been on your mind recently. In fact, you've kind of been searching, and that's a lot of why you're here today. And if that describes you, but you've never actually made a conscious choice to invite God into your life, if you've not made a formal decision to do that, I want to give you that opportunity today. And it's real simple. The most important thing is that that's what you want, that you make the decision. And then simply express that to God, which is what we call prayer. And so what I'll do is I'll pray out loud, and I invite you just to pray along with me, and God will hear you. But before I pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with, and I have a signal for that, which is if you would simply look up, then when my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that describes you and you'd like to pray, then go ahead and look up at this moment and then we'll pray together in a moment. Here? Okay. I see you. Anybody else? And there. Yes, I see you in the back. And there. Okay. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anyone. And here. I see you. Okay. And there. Very good. Let's pray. God, I realize you've been getting my attention lately. And I've realized that I think my relationship with you is what I need. And I've been searching, and I'm here now. And I'm making a decision to open up to you. And I'm inviting you to come into my life, to be a part of me. And so, God, I ask you to forgive me for things I've done that have been hurtful to myself or to others. Lord, you know what all that is. And I thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross for me, taking my place. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your spirit of forgiveness into mine. And if you're praying this prayer right now, I just want to invite you to take a moment, just in this privacy of your heart between you and God, just to make a Take a moment of faith and let his spirit come into yours just to receive his spirit of love and forgiveness into your life. This is what you were created for. This is the moment that God has been waiting for. This is the reason that Jesus came so that you could experience God. And so, Father, yes, I receive your spirit into mine. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for Jesus. 
And I ask that you would reveal yourself to me, reveal yourself and your ways and make me the kind of person that you designed me to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a hand to all those who just prayed that prayer.